This is Book Circle Online. I'm Jeffrey Masters. Charity Gay Finistad gained popularity with her blog, Hollywood and Heels, where she documented her adventures while dating and learning to navigate the entertainment industry. Her new book of the same name expands on the blog and is smart, funny, and supremely honest. Don't believe me? Britney Spears calls Charity. Carrie Bradshaw meets Chelsea Handler. And Charity's in the studio today to talk with us. From the Library of Maria Menounos, this is Book Circle Online. Featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Thank you for being here today, Charity. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's good to see you in person. <laughs> I know, it's great to meet you too. <laughs> Thank you. So a lot of these questions, or uh, a lot of these stories in your book are so personal. They're not the kind that come up for normal like dinner table discussions. <laughs> I gotta ask, have your parents read the book? <laughs> my father does not read books. Okay. And my mother has edited what she's read to him, I do believe. Wonderful. <laughs> but I, she did have the comment, these are a bit racy, baby. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, that's I nice. I was like, a bit? <laughs> right. <laughs> Is it weird that this, um, it's such like a personal piece of your life that's out there? It's not like a movie with characters or like a painting. It's like your own life and it's stories. It's my real life. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I'm actually like that all the time. It may not be normal people's dinner conversation, but it actually is with the girls' nights and at my house and with my friends. So it's kind of like I extended the conversations I have with girlfriends to everybody. Amazing. I'm a bit of an open book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very a conscious effort. Yeah. 100%. So now when you meet people, they like automatically know lots about you. (laughs) It's just a given and you, it's enjoyable. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I am now starting to encounter that. Um, and yeah, I guess it's really funny because I was very open and very transparent with the book, but I also wrote it. So believe it or not, there were things held back. Of course. (laughs) Which it doesn't seem that way, the way I write and the way I talk. But there were bits held back. And the stuff that's held back is the stuff that that I would be protective of. Everything you know, I'm totally up front with. I'd shout it from a rooftop. Yes, it happened. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And I think that's so interesting to talk about, like, holding things back. But we got the sense of a very, like, complete person on page. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I talk to people about how one of the things about the entertainment industry is so much of it is illusion. Right. And so much of it is mass. <laughs> and so I found it very fascinating. I'll give you for example. There are actors or actresses that are addicted to cocaine. But of course, that's illegal and no one can speak of such things. So they go into rehab for alcohol. Are right. there or... Or they have different spins on it. They all, everything always has to be illusion or changed. And very few people are allowed to speak the truth. And even if you work in corporations and stuff, you have, so much of it has to be illusion based. You could, you could never say the things you did at home in private. It would be considered completely unacceptable. And, um, I don't know. I just think there's something kind of glorious about balls out there truth. And I think it's also relatable. And I actually think, more people need to do it. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was amazing relatable, too. And especially since your character, I guess you are um, smart and intelligent, and it came across. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I loved that you, um, I think the opening chapter, you were like, here I am, I graduated college, a double major, like summa cum laude, I should not be like doing this for such little money. <laughs> Having feathers gr- glued to me while naked. No! Exactly, right. <laughs> My degree did not prepare me for that. I guess not. 
But um, yeah, and then you also were saying that like uh, ambition is ugly in Hollywood. Yeah. And yet this is the most ambitious town in the world. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, no, it's funny because I truly adore the people who want to make things. So people who are enthusiastic creators, I don't think that's ugly at all. I think that's absolutely spectacular and I'm in love with those people, whether they're building a house or whether they're making a film or writing a book, whatever. If you're making something, I've probably got a crush on you. But um, when it's just about being famous and it's when it's just about having a name out there and there's not any reason for it, if that makes any sense. I'm not quite a spellbound, let's just say. <laughs> oh, I understand. That's interesting. Um, in you're talking about the like illusion of Hollywood and the mask we wear. Yeah. Um in the book it was a little bit um <laughs> for me it was kind of like an overnight success story of like I started a blog and then I got like T V show offers and now I have a book. Yes. Was there like I know that it took a while to get to the blog, but what other, like, writing adventures did you have in that? Oh, beforehand, I had done a lot of writing. So I was working, I had written um, test scripts, two of them, and I also was working on a book about women's accomplishments in history called 101 Things a Girl Can Do in High Heels, (laughs) and it was 100 women who've done amazing things in history. Wow. Artists, humanitarians, obviously a massive research project, and... um, also, not even close to completed at this point. I think I'm at 70%. <laughs> okay. So it was this massive undertaking and probably a little too big and too heavy of a thing to take on right at the beginning. And it was, I was talking at dinner parties all the time about it, but of course I hadn't completed it. <laughs> of course. So when my <laughs> ex-boyfriend convinced me I should start blogging these funny little stories that I would write for myself and that I tried submitting to Swiss newspapers um, about my adventures dating, then it did. those stories were relatable to everybody. So that did take off instantly. But there had been six years of, you know, walking people's dogs, of course. cleaning windows, whatever had to be done when I didn't have modeling jobs to pay. Was modeling your primary source of income? Modeling was my primary source, but I was never a very successful model. Okay. Let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy that. I was not making the big bucks. I was more the girl that was like standing at the mall, you know, offering you to sample perfumes or doing the runway shows, which in Los Angeles pay a whopping $150 okay. a show. Let the record show. <laughs> Let the record show. I was not Cindy Crawford or Kate Moss. I loved your dating diets of water and or tap water and ramen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my four years, I called it the uh, popcorn days and two buck chuck nights <laughs> two buck chuck yeah two right? buck chuck is a staple of artists trying Absolutely. to make it 100 percent. thank trader you trader joe's i know <laughs> <laughs> i just um your dating diet uh, just made me think what do the guys in hollywood do how do they eat i really don't know because when i'm out when i was out and about at these parties i seldom encountered guys that were not successful so to get into the clubs or the like moment, the place of the moment, all of the men were normally the power players or people who had money, gobs of it. And I seldom encountered any of the men who were struggling like me. It's a very interesting thing. I knew dozens and dozens of women who had not a dime to their name, but, you know, a cute face and long legs or something. And they would get into the parties, but I very seldom met men who were trying to break in. So it was like wildly successful or not at all? Wildly successful or, or absolutely nothing at all women. Yeah. To be honest. And I never thought about that till you just mentioned that. But really, I was out all the time and I'll talk to anybody. So it wasn't that I was a snob or that I was looking for men with money. It was just the men that get into the worlds that I was getting into. They were all already there. I guess as you were saying too, like it helps to have um, 
I mean, I know you described your height <laughs> as uh, this like one beauty trait in Hollywood you can't buy. And I was like, that's right. brilliant. It's like, absolutely true. Right. And I never thought about it before I came here because I always thought my height was something that was terribly awkward. <laughs> right. And got me tormented all through high school and never had a date. But yeah, here it was a commodity people seem to like. And so. And it's getting you in like all the right places. In the, into clubs. I really do think that was the difference. Was the clubbing culture Certainly as we weren't big? the cutest girls. <laughs> <laughs> I would disagree. Aw, <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> um, was the clubbing like culture and going into all like the can't miss parties and like sitting through the bad ones because that yep. might have been good? Was that just like I guess young women like? So the clubbing culture was um, well. To be really frank, it's scores of dinosaurs, as I call them, um, older men that never figured out a relationship and settled down, and still are going through twenty-year-old girls. And then the young and hot, successful people of Hollywood, lots of famous people, and then a plethora of hot women. Yeah. Interesting. It's And the parties must be stacked like 75, 80% young, beautiful girls to men. And so that's why you were able to walk in. Yes. Yeah. I think that's like a big important lesson for anybody in Hollywood. Like you fake it till you make it and then you keep faking it yeah. until you've made it up a little more. <laughs> It's like, when do you have to stop making it? The thing that used to make me crazy when I first started going out, we were so lucky to get in, but um, as much as my book is Hollywood and Heels, the girl's got to take a break from her heels occasionally. And I'm so used to like these little bars that I was from in Oregon where anybody could sit down at a seat or a table. It's just first come, first serve. And it used to make me crazy that I couldn't sit down for even five minutes because you had to buy a table. And the table service is normally like minimum a thousand dollars for right. the evening, you know. So thank God up you're to friendly. God knows what. Yes, then thank God I know how to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so interesting in the book how like self aware you were and aware of like the kind of ridiculous setting that is Hollywood. Was that something you were like conscious of at the time or kind of like figured out writing the book? I was always aware of it. Okay. I always felt I always felt like, woohoo, I'm here. But I always felt like an observer. So as much as I had fun, I always felt like I'm here, but I'm not quite the same as all these people. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of an outsider who was actually inside. And it's funny. I was thinking about that the other day. Is that still true? Because, I mean, I'm really inside there now, you know? Yeah. And I still think I feel like a small town girl. Oh, interesting. That, yeah, I do. And, and I actually like it. I don't want to feel Hollywood. Oh, I, I'll buy that. That's interesting, too, that you like feel like the small town girl in L.A. And yet in Oregon, you were like... Too, I'm the big city you girl. You couldn't be a small town girl. <laughs> <laughs> and like, a, back to your like, self-awareness. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. Like you, it's like, where do I fit in? I didn't in? fit in in Oregon at all. That's, that's yeah. totally true. That's I was, a psychological issue. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And then I'm here and I like thinking of myself as, I'm such a small town girl. <laughs> There's something about like being born and raised in LA when like, they're, they are, they don't exist really. Yeah, <laughs> they're very they, rare. Yeah. I'm doing that. I'm actually raising one of those crazy enough. Oh, I didn't think about yeah. that. Yeah. Is that very conscious, like effort, like make sure he like grounded, grounded. and it, it used yeah. to the rest of the world? Yeah, because this is another planet yeah. and the way things work here is so different than the way the rest of the world works. Yeah. You try to explain it, but really it's kind of incomprehensible unless you're here. Yeah. Is, how old is your son now? He's five. Oh my God. And his real world is so, I mean, his real world is bizarre. Jay-Z's made up raps for him, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just bizarre. Yeah. I, I just think about when he grows up, all of that will be normal to him in the same way that hiking and, and you know, all these tiny town 
camping, all these things were normal to him. These high rolling worlds, and those were the be the people he knew. It's just a strange thought, right? Yeah, it's almost like such added pressure as a uh, parent. Yeah, just one more factor. Like, yes, oh. because I actually want to make sure that he's not, you know, so impacted by it that he doesn't understand reality. Yeah. So I don't want I, entitlement is one of the most appalling, unattractive traits on the planet, and I don't care. How famous or successful people are when they don't act entitled, I adore them. And when they do, I just, ugh. And it's almost the people who like have, don't quite deserve to be entitled that like, that are the worst. Yes. Some of the most amazing, really powerful actors and actresses and producers. And they're just so generous and great. And they just act so normal. And then some of the people that are trying to prove how important they are. Of course. Act, you know, ridiculously entitled. Right. And then you talk to those like famous actors and it like throws you off because they're so nice. Yeah. They're down to earth. They shouldn't be weird. (laughs) being nice like it's okay but that goes back to my thing the people who are creating things their identity and their happiness comes from the fact that they're working their asses off at whatever it is they're creating right and so it doesn't have to be a posture they don't have to prove how great they are because they're happy with what they're doing they don't need you to tell them that they're wonderful that's good wow They don't have to do that. That's why they don't act all entitled and bratty try to make you think they're special. I'm going to retweet that. (laughs) Tweet away. (laughs) Wow. Um, I loved the chapter when you were describing Oregon and how you didn't want to be just another like housewife who with the glass covering her eyes and like cloudy. Why do you think you were able to like get out when so many people can't? You know, I I was thinking about the the other day. I had a, I had an interview yesterday with Cyrus Webb, and he was saying, "Would you say your stubbornness helped you in getting out?" And I think there was two traits that helped me get out. One is I am a really big dreamer, and I've always been a really big dreamer. And I also think I needed to be a creator. I needed to be somebody making something. And when I wasn't making something, it was so poisonous to me. And I was so unhappy that ultimately that yearning to do something pushed me out. And there's not to say I couldn't have done something there, but I just couldn't figure out what to do there. Right. So it took jumping off, you know, the, into the deep end of Los Angeles to find my path slowly and figure out what I was meant to do. And I've never been the person who sticks like a toe in the water. And let me tell you, the water in Oregon up in those mountain lakes is snow runoff. And I would never, when we'd all go to the lake and we'd go swimming, everybody would kind of like put their toe in and like wade in and decide how cold it was. I can't do that. I just won't get in the water. The only way for me to do it was run to the end of the dock and cannonball. Right. And so I think that that kind of approach to life was what made me decide I'm leaving. I have to go. And then just cannonballed. I did not know one single soul in this town when I pulled into town. It was, wow. That was a fairly intimidating thing. Wow. Two months worth of savings, which is nothing. Oh, no. That's nothing. Definitely. And, I, of course, being so naive and having watched all the Hollywood Make It stories, thought, oh, two months is plenty. Somebody's going to discover <laughs> me right off the street. I know. When I moved here, I said, I've been here 36 hours. Why am I not How on the cover of writing? Right. I'm sorry. There's something's wrong. That is the feeling you have. And I think every, and nobody wants to admit it when they become successful, they don't want to own that they were that person back then. But I think everybody who comes to this town thinks that at first. And then the difference between the people who stay and actually do build a life here and some really beautiful lives is the people who realize that is not going to happen. And it's the hard workers. And that they need to stay and keep working their ass off. 
And they also need to, every time they get knocked down, get back up because you will be knocked down over and over and over and over and over. You just got to get used to taking the punches. Of course. Um, but those and, are the people that make it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such like a big, massive city. There's so many options. Oh, and it's God. so overwhelming. That's actually really fun too. One of my favorite things is I would leave my apartment. I'd be like, I could be anybody today. You know, I could be hippie chick today. I could be little Miss Sophisticated and nobody will know because nobody knows me. Right. And there's people with purple hair and pink hair and there's just such a sense of acceptance. That was actually one of my favorite things about LA is there was such a sense of acceptance and you could be going through this whole experiment to figure out and not have everybody giving you funny looks. Whereas in a town with no stoplight, when you walk out of the door with pink hair on, <laughs> you get funny looks. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved um, how you were saying you go in like you cannonball into the icy water. Yeah. Like, no matter the temperature. Yeah. And I think that's... I loved hearing the reading, the relationships that you were having with these, yeah. like, men. Because you just... Cannonball. You go. Cannonball. You I fall cannibal. in love. And it's so nice because, like, at least, like, and a lot of people I know, like, they're so hesitant. I, I like know. to, like, try a lot of drinks. Then I I'm like, know. drink all of one. That was a weird I metaphor. <laughs> I know. I know. But it almost, like, gives young people permission to fall in love and just, like, do it. And that was so nice. You will not get the real deal if you don't take the whole risk every time. Yeah. I really believe that. And I know what's the worst that the can happen to you is a major heartbreak. You know what? You learn from your major heartbreaks yeah. and you discover more about yourself. So, And then you start blogging about it and you get a book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I honestly, I, mm. I watch people hesitantly approach love and it's like, life is this very short window of time and don't you want to feel all the great emotions in it? And if you don't take the risk, you won't get them. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I fell in love way more than once and I don't regret a single one. Even the ones that smashed me to smithereens afterwards, they were, they were pieces of adventure and flavor. And even the being smashed part, it's still life and it's like lived a hundred percent instead of watching other people live it on a TV or, you know, dreaming of living it. Of I, course. Yeah. It was such a nice book about like, like enjoying the journey of yes, life, not yeah. like racing to yeah. the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess really the finish line is death, right? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, yeah. <laughs> ultimately you think it's the success. You think it's when, okay, for me, for example, it could be when my book comes out, yeah. but it's not, it's just the beginning of another thing. Now I got to promote the book and then I have to write the next book. And you know, it's a, constant, through these interviews. <laughs> yeah, it's a constant thing. There's always another step. So really the finish line is death. So I have no hurry. I'm in no hurry to get there. I want to seize every like pebble and, mountain yeah. and view on the journey. And, and now that the book is out, do you like feel like a success? Like, oh, do you feel successful? God, it feels great. It feels like, a, it's silly because it feels like having a kid. It's like, it took so many years to make this and okay, so they still have to grow up. It still has to become whatever it's going to become. Of but I gave birth to a book. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder, like it took so long to get to this point. Like those struggling, I wonder if those like vestiges remain in your head of like, no, I didn't quite get it yet. But it's like, no, I have it. It's tangible. You know, it's my um, hand. I think I'm such a book junkie and I'm such a reader. I mean, out of control. And I get, I get teased about it actually by my husband because it's truly out of control. It's like a, it's like a crack addiction to books. And yeah. I don't read them like chapters like most people do. I read like entire books in one sitting like other people watch a movie. So, you know, I sit down with a book and like four hours later, I'm done with the book. Totally. So, um, being like this about books, the fact that there is a physical book that I made yeah, that's that's a good feeling. I don't I don't have any of the um I don't have any sense of like 
it has to be more. It has to be more. I feel like, wow, that thing, I finally put a bow on it. It's done. If it becomes more, that's just going to be icing on the cake. Yeah. But it's like a real thing I can hold and I can put it in the bookshelf. And that's Amazing. just such a glorious, glorious feeling. Yeah. And in the book, you're having meetings for TV shows. Is it still yeah. totally developed? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and the people I'm talking to are kind of fantastic. Oh, good. Yeah. Is that, you think we'll if, see it in like a couple years? Uh, you never have any, any clue with TV. I mean, I believe it when I'm actually watching it. Okay. Actually, when you're watching more than the pilot, right? Because pilots get made and then it gets tossed too. But I do have to say there's been several really powerful, successful producers that have over the years been interested in it. And the, last, and the person who's interested in it now, I adore. And I think he totally gets it. Amazing. And it, when I started thinking television for it, I had an idea in mind and he described it to me without me describing it to him. And I thought, Ah, oh, this might be it. Wow. <laughs> because before I've always put the kibosh on it. I've pulled the plug. Oh, really? Yeah. I pulled the plug because it wasn't exactly what I imagined. And we're talking about my life. Wow. So, yeah, I could. there have been several times where it would have gone forward if I hadn't been like, no, this is not exactly right. And you're going to ruin it. And this is a reflection of my life. I mean, if it, maybe it was a novel, I wouldn't be quite so attached to what it looked like, but I probably would. Yeah. Because I think writers just get attached. Do you have, are you but attached to anybody to play charity? No, I have no idea. Okay. That's a really hard one. People always ask that. And I'm like, it's very hard to separate myself from myself and imagine who could be me. I mean, I heard myself on the radio yesterday and I was like, what is wrong with my voice? I wouldn't even recognize it. My voice is like three octaves lower in my own head. Oh, that's so funny. Mine too. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it really? Yeah. You have a low voice to begin with. No, Yours is like very white in your head. You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But reading it, it is such a TV. Like it's like those the chapters are just perfect for like a thirty minute sitcom or an hour expanded. Yeah. Like oh yeah, I see it as thirty minutes too. And I'm sure you've like many many more stories. Yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. There were when I did the blog before I pulled it all down. Um, there were like eighty six blogs. Oh my god. And there's twenty six chapters. So oh my god. Yeah, there's a lot more. How much of um, the book is from the blog? Are they all the stories? Um, no, there's there's a whole lot in the book that was not in the blog because the blog was one year of my life and it was the last year before I met my husband. Oh. And I had already lived here five years before that. So I, when I took the book, I took maybe 20% of the stories in the book were directly from the blog and the other 80% of the book was written to make a book. Amazing. Yeah. So five, you, the point of like getting to Hollywood and meeting your husband was that, like five that, years? Yeah. And that was, that was, none of that was in the blog because, um, when I came, I didn't start the blog when I came to Hollywood. I didn't start the blog till I'd already lived here five years. So your blog readers must be like out of their mind excited. Like, they oh my God, she's really married. Happy. She's a child. They were really happy. Yeah. Wow. And it was a very funny thing because there was a lot of people really upset that I quit writing the blog. And I'm like, but what am I supposed to write about? <laughs> I'm not dating anymore. I can't, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you my sexcapades with my husband. Right. And that was a funny thing when I actually wrote the book, the chapter about meeting him was like two pages and the <laughs> publishers come back to me. They're like, wait, this is really good. We're really happy with everything except <laughs> you've left out the happy ending. Right. You've completely like forgotten. You have like long chapters about these other men in two pages. I'm like, yep, that's happening now and I want to protect it. And they're like, oh, you yeah. you have to tell us. Yeah, they're like, you have to tell us. So that's when I went and I just did it. And then 
that I had to let go. Oh God, this is, that, is going out in the world. <laughs> is that funny that like society will like want to hear every juicy detail of every relationship except the one you're in? Yes. It's much safer feeling the <laughs> yeah. past ones. Like, oh, she's still with him. I don't want to hear anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. tell me his name. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> what was really funny is that Robert's boss and the men he works with reading the book. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the worst. Oh God, I got to tell you, this is ridiculous. My father-in-law came to my house like six months ago and I had printed myself a copy of the book and it was on the shelf and he saw it and he read it. He didn't tell me he read it. And he, then the next day he said something about reading it. I wanted to crawl under the couch and hide. The thought of my father-in-law knowing about my sex life was just way too much. <laughs> Everyone else, I really don't care, but that was just way too much. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, too much. <laughs> too much, right? You don't want to know about your parents no. or your parents-in-law, and you don't want them to know about yours. Yeah, that's Everyone it. else is fine. Everyone else, please read it. Yes, please. Everybody else, buy the book. Yep, on bookstores everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. So can you read a passage for me? Sure. Specifically on page 20, uh, 98. Oh, yes. I think this passage... Um, just demonstrates why your character, Charity, you, you, okay. hi, yes, me. <laughs> is so relatable and wonderful and why you were able to, for me, it's like the reason you could be successful. So um, it's in the middle of the page. Let's okay. hear it. I love that you picked this one, by the way. Oh, good. Okay. My new duck drug, by the way, duck drug means the boy I was involved with because I called him the duck. Anyway, my new duck drug entered my life right in the beginning of my decoding of a perfectly programmed mind phase. I decided that I was tired of living by the programming I'd received my whole life from the outside world. The church, my parents, my schools, the government, etc. I was going to question everything I'd ever been taught and toss everything that didn't feel intuitively right with my spirit. Then I was going to build an entire new belief system from the ground up using literature, art, poetry, and science. An epic undertaking, I'll admit, but a necessary one, if I was ever going to find any kind of happiness or meaning in life. On a deep level, I knew that the things I'd been taught were fatally flawed. Amazing. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people could realize that and, like, think about it and, like, uh, throw out everything they've ever been taught. It is a very interesting thing, and especially, you, you saw in the book, I was raised in a very religious family. It was um, Christian schools all the way through, and I'm actually one of those people that had read the Bible through many, many times. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? And um, and so much of the outside world is always trying to program you and tell you what to be, and religions are one of the very strong ways of doing that. But school, your family, all of it is always trying to tell you who to be, what to be, and how to find happiness. And they're all wrong. <laughs> That's really the conclusion I came to. They are all misguided and they're all external things that are put upon you that normally actually push you into the ground instead of helping you grow. And so I think when real growth happens is when you start to cut all those things off and decide that you're going to create your own programming in your head instead of having the stuff that's just been put in there. So one of my fun things I did when I was doing this process was I, it looked like a beautiful mind. I mean, my place was insane. I was writing notes to myself all over the walls of my house. And, um, I even got like soap crayons that I could write on the tiles in the shower because ideas would come to me in the shower. And I decided 
to actually actively think of my brain as a computer that was being programmed and to choose my programming instead of just like naturally it coming in. So I would go on news fast because there was so much like fear and darkness being put upon people by the news at all times, you know, and I would do all these things and I would go through various phases of which authors I was reading and which books and what music, but I was always be trying to be conscious of what I was programming myself to believe and only going with those things that when I did a gut check were, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Because I actually honestly believe that we know individually what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do and that everybody else wipes it out of us and we have to go back to finding it again. That's what I really believe. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when you did all this, you figure out, oh, good, I still want to be a writer. Yes. Good. Yeah. And you know what's funny is I always wanted to be, but I just didn't have the balls to think I could do it. And I didn't think I had anything to write about. And what's really fascinating is the things that I discovered to write about now, my new book, the novel I just finished, um, it goes back to stuff that I had long before I came here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you know what you were saying? No, it's, it's yes, fiction. But it goes back to things I learned in my childhood and in my family and in my adventures growing up. Oh, it's wow. really interesting. So I had it all the time. I just didn't recognize that I had it until I threw myself out of my comfort zone, came to Hollywood found Hollywood in heels and found these fun adventures to write about and then realized that actually the wellspring for all of my creativity goes to childhood. I mean, it goes to like these deep roots. Wow. And it was, it was living there all along and, and it's all these stories and all these archetypes and, um, can you tell us like briefly what it's about? No, I'm totally okay. keeping it a secret, but I will give you the title. Great. It's, ca- <laughs> it's called Mercy Me. <laughs> okay. Very cool. And wait, okay. I'll give you one other thing. The lead character's name is Mercy. That's why it's Mercy. Mercy. Me. Yeah. Sounds eerily similar to charity. Yes, it does. (laughs) She may have grown up in a religious background just like I did. (laughs) Interesting. Cool. And you finished the first draft? I finished the first draft. So Amazing. That's really fun. Yeah. It makes it so that um, when I get done with doing a lot of stuff for Hollywood Heels, I get to like dive back into doing this rewrite on Mercy Me. Oh, that break is so needed. Such a nice thing. Yeah. It wow. really is. And then your um, 100 like Famous Women, what was that book? Are you yeah. still I will do this at some point. I really believe I need to go back at it. But the problem is like the 80, 75, 80% I have written, I was so amateur and green when I wrote it. All of it has to be rewritten. Ugh. So the research is there. Of course. But the writing would have to happen all over again. And I actually have these fantastic ideas for it that maybe are not a book. Because I could completely imagine this children's series. Because really, I want it's about inspiring little girls that can do anything with their life. And that being girly and feminine does not have to mean that you can't also be like president or whatever you should choose to be. And so um, I actually could imagine like a series for little girls and that instead of it being a book, that each episode was one little girl that goes through and meets these various famous historical women and learns one lesson from each woman that she meets. Because the book was, um, each of the 101 things was a cliche, like get her foot in the door, stand on her own two feet, because it was 101 things she could do in high heels. Oh, how funny. (laughs) And so then I would talk about that one thing about that woman that she had done. That's a great idea. Wouldn't it be fun? Yeah. A total girl, a little, a series, you know, yeah. Yeah. I love looking back as an artist on like work you've done like three years ago and you're like, oh my God, 
that's so bad, but look how good I am now. Yes, Just yes, like that reminder yes, is so nice. Well, I mean, <laughs> I adore Hollywood and Heels, but if I was to write it now, I'd probably even write it different because the time between when you write and when it comes out, you've been writing so much more since then. Right. And I'm sure I will feel the same way about Mercy Me when I get it out there yeah. and I've written the next thing already. It's just a funny thing. Right. What is one thing you would change about it? Um, I... I, let me think. I don't know if I can say it in one thing. I think the writing would just, um, I'm not sure. I, I think the, the way I would say it is things I would tighten up. Okay. There's things I would tighten up. So even now you can see yourself like maturing as a writer. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. There are definitely things I would just tighten up there, but, um, and I might make it when I did it, I did it all as a series of each chapter is kind of a short individual funny story, but it tells a big overarching story. If I did it all from the scratch now, I might even do it like a memoir where it's like one long story. It would just be a lot longer. Oh, interesting. I might do that. Yeah. It's hard to say. Do you ever see yourself writing a, another memoir of like happy You never know. Stories? You never know because everybody immediately wanted me. So when Hollywood and Heels, the blog finished, everyone wanted me to keep blogging. I have a lot of very unhappy people around the world that said that was my Tuesday and Thursday pick me up. Um uh. I, they wanted me to blog my current adventures, which I would have called Barefoot and Pregnant in the Hollywood <laughs> But there was something in me that just felt incredibly protective of my my son and didn't... It's one thing to tell my secrets. It's another thing to tell his secrets. Yeah. And even as a child, like, what if he does want to run a company or run for president or something like that? And people are reading about, you know, when, you know he was putting his diaper on his head or things like that. I just didn't want that to exist. I didn't want to be the person that did that. So I didn't write a lot of, yeah, Yeah. I wanted to give him the choice. So I did never wrote all these funny parenting things that I've learned in the last five years that I might do a novel or something like that. And maybe when, you know, when I don't know, maybe I would do a memoir. I think what stops me is, is the fact that I have a family now and I feel protective. Of course. So that sends me into novel realm. What are you going to do when your child wants to read the book? So I would Is totally, that, you could ask I would totally let him. I would okay. absolutely let him. Um, I would warn him. Do you really want to read about mommy's sex life? Right. <laughs> and then he would probably say no. Right. Right. <laughs> absolutely. Because you can't imagine a kid wanting to, right? No. Not or at all. I would, I, you know, I would like edit out and say, here are the chapters you might enjoy. You might not want to read these. <laughs> right. Here's three pages you can read. Exactly. <laughs> you can read chapter one. <laughs> That's then so you're funny. done. Yeah, no, I would totally let him. I believe, uh, you know, whatever he wants, but I doubt that he would want to just because. Right. Although he's so cute because, like, I, he came to the signing with me at Barnes and Noble, which was last Tuesday night, and at the Grove, and he was walking around telling everybody, "My mommy's book is my favorite book in the whole world." <laughs> <laughs> and I was no like, I'd just saying. like to clarify, he did not indeed read it. <laughs> like the I did show? not read this to him at bedtime. <laughs> Good. Good night, moon, and Hollywood and heels. That's all he needs. <laughs> There were a lot of very good lines of men. He could, like, pick up some great dating tips. Yes, yes. You know, although I should, I would even send that to him probably when he's older. Every man should read the chapter. Which one was it? Just ask, never tell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are some very, like, bold statements. What did the guy say? Um, Let's have a love affair. Just in the beginning. Is it that glorious? I've said that three times since I've read the book. That's Um. (laughs) so glorious. I know. People have borrowed stuff from it and gotten really lucky with it. (laughs) I'll let you know. 
All right, before we leave, since you're such a big reader, let's do a speed round. Okay. Okay, so you got to answer fast. Oh, God. One answer only. You can't think about it. And let's begin. Oh, God. <laughs> favorite book? My favorite book? Anais Nin. It's five. It's the journals. Her, um, Anais Nin. Oh. The journals of Anais Nin. There's five books. I can't narrow it down to one. Okay, But okay. they should be put into one volume because it is just one ongoing journal. Okay, a favorite author? Favorite author, um, Victor Hugo. Uh, book you that made you love writing. Book that made me love writing. Or want to be a writer. Made me want to be a writer. That we go back to Anais Nin. Okay. Yeah. Um, what book are you reading right now? What book am I reading right now? Oh, God. I got to think about that one. I don't even know because I don't read books. I read a whole book. Oh. What, what did I just finish? Yeah, I just finished 1493. Oh, really? Yeah. How was that? It's so good. Do you know anything about it? It's the... Um, the biology, and it's after Columbus 1492. And like, different things affect different things? It's amazing. It's brilliant. Oh, I, it's on my wish list. I couldn't um, put it down. So, yeah, read it. I could not put the book down. It's really brilliant. There's silly things like um, how bird poop um, in the islands when Columbus first came or whatever, how the transmission of that affected agriculture and then how... I, I don't even get me started. It, it's there's a, a bizarre connections. Bizarre connections. It even explains why slavery happened in the United States because of malaria. Because originally there were Irish indentured servants was what the original settlers. In America? Yes, that was what they were originally using, but they were dying off from malaria. Because if you've been exposed to malaria as a child, your chances of surviving it are like 70 or 80%. But if you've never had it, your chances of dying are like 70 or 80%. So they were losing, so they actually didn't even start out, a lot of the plantations didn't start out as slave owners, they started out as having indentured Irish servants. So that's why they turned to Africa? But because they were all dying off, that's why they turned to Africa. Because the Africans had had malaria. That's unbelievable. This book blew my mind. This book, that? I don't schools. know. This book has so much stuff in it, and it's talking about what's happening um, globally now with the homogenizing of all of the crops and stuff. Anyway, yeah, that's the book oh I just God. finished. I don't know which one I'm going to read next because I'll start another book tonight. I got to do that. Okay, that's a good. Have book. you read Living History, Hillary Clinton's? Memoir? No, it's. One I'll of put the most it on my list. Books I've ever read. I'll totally put it on okay. my list. Oh, they're just killing my speed round. Okay, let's do more questions. Speed, go speed. <laughs> I'm trying to talk um, fast. Does that count? What is your cure for writer's block? Hiking. I, really? I, yeah, I hike before I, I drop off my son at school. I hike. I go back to the studio. I write. Whenever I get stuck, I put on my tennis shoes and I just start walking. My studio is right in the middle of Hollywood. And if you move, your brain starts going again. It's the only way to get my brain going again. Unbelievable. Okay, I'm going to try that. Yeah. It's it, instantaneous. It's sorry, I keep snapping my fingers, and it's probably really confusing you over who are listening on the radio. Yeah, no, it's the one way I can get over writer's block instantly. Wow, cool. Oh my god, fourteen ninety three was it? Fourteen ninety three. I can't tell you the author's name. I'm terrible with names. No, but it's fine. I got It's a oh. brilliant, brilliant book. Okay, I'm gonna read that next. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having this me. So this fun. is my most fun interview. Oh, retweet, retweet. Yes. Well, thank you. <laughs> From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to BookCircleOnline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at BookCircleOnline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle. <laughs>